Hey, it's Kenny here, and we're back again with a doubleheader episode where you get to know more about Ryan and I. And this is going to be a long episode because we both have our own dedicated shows on Behind the Pursuit. And in the first half, you'll hear episode 19 with Ryan. You'll get to hear about his morning rituals and the businesses that he runs and manages outside of Bourbon. And the second half of the show is episode 20. And it's a little bit longer than Ryan's. You know, I'm kind of long-winded. But we talk about my career progressions and how I take a very data-centric and analytical approach to everything we are doing with Pursuit Spirits. Remember, if you like these episodes, then search for Behind the Pursuit on your favorite podcast player and hit subscribe. It's a fantastic way to hear more about inside the industry. And we talk about building a brand, glass shortages, distribution hurdles, and a lot more. Cheers, everyone. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Pursuit from Bourbon to Brand. I'm your host Brian Bikey and however you found us we're glad that you're here as we get a behind the scenes look with the Pursuit Spirits brand. Tonight it's just me and Ryan on the podcast. How are you doing tonight? Wow I feel like a thousand pounds lighter you know no Kenny here I can just be myself and be free. We'll have him back soon enough but this is timely. I thought it was it would be a good time 
to kind of just uh, break some stuff down with you and in your business ventures and in what it looks like for you and what you do with Pursuit as you juggle other businesses. I think there's a lot of people this might resonate with. But before we get into this topic, I also thought it'd be timely for us to pop one of the Pursuit series bottles that's still available at Sealbox. So when we released the new batch of bourbon and the new batch of rye, there were also a couple of the Pursuit series single barrels that happened to go up for sale for people to pick up at Sealbox.com. And the one we are tasting tonight is episode 51, which happens to be a Penny and Sparrow pick. What do you know about uh, what do you know about this barrel? I kind of forgot. You know, we Kenny had just dropped all these bottles off to me like a, about a week ago, and we've been so laser focused on um, Pursuit United and, and Bourbon and Rye that we we haven't had much single barrel releases in quite some time, and. We picked these barrels in, gosh, 2019, probably. Uh, yeah, I'd say late 2019, early 2020. And I'm, you know, I tasted through them the other day. I was like, wow, I forgot that we could pick uh, really good single barrels. You know, we've been, I've right. been so like laser focused on blending and building flavors out of different barrels that uh, hadn't been focused on barrels, single barrels. And man, I've been pleasantly surprised. And this is, the first time I've drank this and since we picked it, you know, probably in 2019, because we picked these barrels when we had them stored down in Memphis um, with our other broker. And, you know, then we transitioned everything to Barstown Bourbon Company in late 20 or no, I guess that was. Yeah. Yeah. Last last year in mid to late 2021. And so they've really just been sitting in Memphis and then in Bardstown for the past year. And then they finally got bottled. We grouped them all together and sent them out to, you know, our closest fans and groups that wanted to do single barrel picks with us. And so, yeah, that's what we're drinking on tonight. And this episode 51 was a Tennessee rye barrel that we picked. And these ryes are really good. I mean, the Tullahoma place is a polarizing, uh, you know, flavor for in the bourbon realm, but the rye whiskeys really, there, there's no polarization about it. I mean, it's just really good whiskey. Um, every, you know, rye I've had from them has been fantastic. It's just really balanced. You know, it's it's got some more like a limey, citrusy flavor profile, tropical fruits in there, but it's got some rich, deep, you know, caramel barrel characteristics to them too. So I'm, I haven't tasted this one yet in quite some time, but that's what I remember about the previous rye barrels that we've chose for uh, our Pursuit series. Absolutely. And we won't go too crazy on a really long review. That's not really what we do hear all that often, but I do think it'd be informational for people who, you know, they might see these single barrels on the site and not know what to expect. So let, let's talk about a little bit. I'll, I'll start, and I say that just because I want to want you to get your your first sips in, but I will say you're pretty on, on the nose there when you talk about that lime kind of acidity that it has. And then when you talk about the tropical things, the notes that I had written down coming onto the episode before you got here was there's something on the nose that reminds me of pina colada. And I do not pick that up all that often, but it has this kind of fun, sweet, like sugary pineapple note there. And then a little bit of spiced apple after that. It's really an inviting nose. Yeah, I'm nosing it myself. And it, it it's like, re- reminds me, I think it was episode 29 when we did a Tennessee rye. And it has a lot of those same tropical fruit. I think on that one, the tasty note said like you put the lime in the coconut or something because of those tropical kind of notes that you pick up in the, these rye barrels. Um, but yeah, they're they're on the nose. They're there for sure. That's got a good palate too. I mean, I, I love when you're able to find 
I say well-aged rye whiskeys like this. I mean, it's a six-year-old rye. It's not nothing crazy, but it's not too young either. You know, we see a lot of stuff that's, you know, sub six years on the market, but I think that there is a little touch of oak or wood presence in there as well. But man, you have a real creamy palate. It's really creamy. It has like a nougat type softness to it. And then a lot of stone fruit, I think, finishing. Yeah, it's got a ton of brown sugar, deep, like rich sugar that you reduce down, you know, and like dessert type dishes and those explosion of those little tropical fruits. There's not too much like citrus or pine. I mean, there's a ton of citrus, but not any like piney or lemony notes. It's more kind of like, like you said, stone fruits that you typically don't get with the rye. Yeah, it's very well balanced. It's got a lot of nice barrel character. Just what you said. I'm basically repeating what you said, but yeah, it's very good. (laughs) If a rye to you that has concentrated sugars, tropical notes, a nice kind of lime lead uh, sharpness or citrus quality with a, a nice body, real creamy, good fruit finishing. Again, this is episode 51. If that sounds good to you guys, they should still be up at Sealbox at the time of this recording going out. Can't say that's going to last forever. But uh, while we keep sipping on this, let's let's go ahead and talk into the topic at hand, which is, it's not really a topic, I guess. I just want to talk business stuff uh, when it comes to you. So I'll pull it back from the very beginning, and then we'll kind of dive a little bit deeper but I want to talk about all your businesses that you juggle. So, you know, if you feel compelled, you can, you can, I know you've said on your all's podcast before, when we did the Entry Proof podcast, you've, you've mentioned a lot of places before your, your history and when it comes to the businesses that you either have had or you do have, but I'm maybe more curious Aside from the history, what's a week in the life of Ryan look like? There's a lot going on, and it's uh, doing my best to juggle and manage it all. But so to give you a background and context, I was diagnosed with, you know, ADD, ADHD, you know, somewhere around middle school, high school. So I really had a trouble focusing in school, doing one task, things that I weren't interested in. But if I was really interested in something, I was hyper focused, you know, and I just gave it my all. And so my father was an entrepreneur and a business owner and always kind of knew I wanted to be that entrepreneurship really suits my, I guess my ADD, ADHD mind very well because I'm constantly bouncing around doing different things from a day-to-day basis. So, I mean, just to get real practical. So as people may or may not know, I have my first business was my lawn care company, which we do fertilization weed control for residents here in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, started that about 13 years ago, built it up to, we have about 2,500 customers that we service here in Louisville, have about 10 turf managers, technicians that work with us, and then a couple office staff members. That really is like my main business and focus that has allowed me to enter t- into the bourbon space. And so my typical day is uh, I wake up about 5.30 in the morning. Really what sets the foundation for my day is like, I have to pray, meditate, journal, just to like calm my mind for the shit storm I'm about to hit, you know, for the day. Because once you've built a successful business and this and that, you you go from being like a technician into basically like a chief problem solver or chief fire putter outer. So like all day long, I'm constantly like seeing what challenges are out there, what problems we have. So meditation, prayer, spiritual life is very important foundation for me every morning. And I don't miss it like clockwork. So that's like you typically from like five forty-five to six fifteen ish. And then I get to work. I go to look in my, my 
call log for our lawn care and mosquito spraying company. And I look at all the different things that have happened over the night. What problem fires do I got to put out? Look at our numbers, look at our production numbers, our sales, our cancels. What shit did we mess up the day before? Whose gate we need to fix? What wreck did somebody have? You know, there's all these just things that come flying at me the first thing in the morning. And I try to tackle those early because most people are asleep. It's quiet. My kids aren't up yet and I can get a lot, you know, done. You know, about seven o'clock, my kids wake up and then I take them to school. And then once I drop them off, I'm going to the shop, seeing the guys and the girls to get them going for the day. And I'm really focused on the lawn care mosquito for probably till about two or three o'clock every day. But during that time, you know, there's stuff happening in the bourbon side of things going as in between stops, this and that. I'm answering emails from distributors. I'm, you know, texting with you guys. I'm calling barrel brokers, seeing where barrels we can get, calling suppliers, this and that with Kenny, trying to find, you know, where's our glass going to come from, this or that. And so my schedule is pretty flexible, but I'm always like sprinkling in you know, the bourbon stuff during the the day. And then about say two or three, I really start, I said about two to three hours to like do bourbon stuff. I'll do that till about five or six o'clock. And then typically I get home, you know, most of the time five or six. And I really try to focus on family time. And it's, this has been really hard for me with so much going on with the, the podcast, the bourbon brand, the go green and mosquito when I'm home, it's hard for me to turn my brain off because I'm always thinking about, okay, what happened today? What fires do I got to put out tomorrow? What do I need to do tomorrow? And so that's been a real challenge. And I'm my wife is constantly challenging me and, I, and I'm trying to listen to her and I'm getting better about it. But being present, you know, during those hours and really focusing on family time. Usually, uh, you know, about eight or so, we put the kids to bed, eight to eight thirty. And then from about eight thirty to, you know, 10, 10 30. I'm usually practicing blending. You know, that's what I really am doing as my wind down because I'm so passionate about it and I'm testing new flavor profiles. I'm putting new experiments together, wood finishing, this and that, uh, trying different products from other folks. That's what's really, I kind of look forward to each night is really focusing on that blending side of things. And then I'm typically in bed about 1030 and you, you we started all over. So that's like a typical day. The good thing about the way I set up my businesses and schedules, they kind of have peaks and valleys. So lawn care is obviously very busy in the spring and fall. And so spring, I'm kind of more laser focused on lawn care in March and April. And then summer, things are kind of steady. And so I kind of shift to bourbon, like doing the podcast, focusing on the brand. And then September and October are really busy in the lawn care side too. So I kind of shift there. What's really been stressful this year is that Pursuit United got delayed. It was supposed to launch in March and April to have summer to promote it. Well, it got pushed to like July and August release. And now we're having to promote in September and October during my busy time. And so it's been kind of, you know, trying to juggle the busy time for my lawn care while trying to promote the the brand has been a kind of a busy, stressful time. That's kind of the cadence of the year too for me is so like, Spring and falls, long care folk, heavy long care focused, summers bourbon focused, and winters bourbon focused. Yeah, so I'm really curious. I, I know or we know that you grew up in Bargetown. You've been around the industry for a long time. And so as you're seeing yourself in this role, or as you see yourself function in the day to day, do you think it's common or do you find it common with other people that you know in the industry 
that they both work up at, at a quote day to day and then they balance you know for lack of a better word this hobby role or i guess you know they they balance a day to day that's not bourbon and they try and fit in the work that they want to do on the on the industry as well do you find that to be pretty common yeah it definitely seems like in the bourbon especially the bourbon media side a lot of folks you know, it, it's hard to make it a full-time gig, as we all know. You know, there's quite a bit of of us, and it's hard to monetize it to where you could make it a full-time gig. And so a lot of us do, you know, have day jobs and focus on bourbon at night. And it's easy for us to do that because it's our passion. But sometimes it can lead to burnout, you know, because you're so busy during the day. And then, you know, it's 9 o'clock, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I got to work on a podcast. I'm dead tired. I got this deadline tomorrow with my real job. Do I really want to get on the microphone and blab about bourbon for? And usually when you get on there, it's okay. But I know it's pretty common, you know, with everyone in the, the media space. As far as the like the the brand space, it seems like more it feels like we're one of the only ones that are kind of doing this part time. You know, a lot of folks either they're investors and they have a team doing it for them, you know, that's helped running the business for them. Whereas we are kind of the investors, the technicians, the blenders, the marketers, we're kind of doing it all and still having full-time jobs. So it, it seems like an advantage maybe that other brands have over us is that they are able to focus on it all day, every day. Whereas we're kind of trying to make the most of it as we can while we're still hanging on to our day jobs as people may or may not know we're we're really investing in the future of this company and so to do that we have to keep our full-time jobs so at a later date we can maybe take that leap to go bourbon full-time now i love what you said about your your morning ritual and, and what you had to kind of focus yourself for the day i think those are kind of those insider business tips it's like oh man what, what is something that somebody who's who's wiser been doing it for a little bit longer can kind of you know speak some words into people. So similar to that, what are, what are some other sorts of things that you've learned maybe from your other businesses, uh, that help shape the way that you work when it comes to pursuit? What I was forced to learn with my existing business was delegation and outsourcing a lot of tasks that are kind of not, they're critical, but I don't have to do them, you know? And so that's, I learned that a ton. Tim Ferriss, he's an author and podcaster. He actually inspired me to create the burn pursuit podcast he had a book called the four hour work week he really talked about having systems and uh having the business run without you having outsourcing tasks that anybody can do that you're not necessarily the best at your time's more focused on higher performing tasks that are going to be beneficial to the business it's not advantageous for me to sit there and answer phone calls all day from clients gathering their data when I could be out there selling, you know, lawn care or empowering my team to, uh, to go, you know, do the things that they need to do. And two, I've learned that it, it's hard coming from a technician mindset that, you know, when you start your own business, you're like, Oh, I'm the best at doing this. And, but then you realize you have only have so much bandwidth and so much time and so much scalability and so you really have to start to learn to trust and uh, lean on other people to help you and your company grow. And that's what I've really learned a ton from Go Green and Mosquito 911. I've I've really made the business. At first, the business was more about me and my partner. 
which I have an awesome partner. He's very supportive of the bourbon brand and allow me to do what I do because he understands how much I put into go green as well. And, but, um, learning that, uh, you know, not making the business or everything about you and really empowering people and up lifting them up and giving them opportunities to have responsibility, to earn more money, to make their name in the company too, is something that I really learned. And two, I learned what, what's been really valuable for the pursuit spirit size is understanding the finances of it. So when you first start a business, you know, you, it's as simple. It can be as simple as money in money out, but there's all these like different tax codes and different tax liabilities and uh, different amortization, depreciation, this and that. Really understanding the financial models of how businesses run and cash flow problems and cash flow, uh, creating cash flow systems so you don't have cash flow problems and understanding financing to alleviate those pains. That's something that I've really learned that's really helped us on the pursuit spirit side because being such a capital intensive business that the bourbon industry is you really have to have cash flow figured out and we're getting there but i feel like i had a jump a head start understanding that from the previous business whereas you know if we just went into this not having having me run a business it probably would have been a lot more daunting and more challenging and so there, those are just a few things off the top of my head that have really kind of translated and two you know, Kenny gets very impatient with the success of the company. And, you know, I was too, when I've started my first business, you're, you know, you think, Hey, I know what I'm doing ever. The market's going to love me. It's going to be an overnight success. And it's not like that. It takes time to like, you know, figure things out, get people to trust you, get people behind your brand. And, but once you get there, it's like a, it's a snowball effect. It's a, uh, somebody taught me there's like the six degrees of separation. You know, once you get like your core, your thousand true fans or thousand true customers, then they all know six people and they'll tell six people, then they'll tell six people, you know, and it starts, you know, really snowballing like that, but it takes time to build that trust with like those thousand true fans. And so going through that and understanding that patience, that success just isn't going to come overnight has really helped me like coach Kenny through, you know, the early struggles of what we've had gone through with the podcast and with the brand as well. On the flip side of, of that question, then what are some things that you've learned from your other business or businesses or other ventures that you've done or thought about doing or tried that have made you pivot from where you were initially going to what you do when it comes to pursuit? One thing that I was, that held me, held us back and go green and our mosquito company was I was very conservative and really wanted to pay cash for everything wanted to be kind of like Dave Ramsey ish like if we needed a truck we need to pay cash for it we need to use you know if we could only afford a used vehicle that was it and it took me a while probably five or six years to really understand leveraging like debt to grow your business in a responsible way because of that, like, I wish I'd shifted that earlier in our go green. And now with understanding the debt and finance side with the pursuit, you know, we're ta we're taking on millions of dollars of debt and it's like, it's nothing, you know, whereas when I was starting go green, every penny count and I was counting it and stressed out about every little thing. Now understanding, you know, the finance side, I wish I would have done that differently 
with Go Green, I wish I'd been more comfortable with financing our growth, if that makes sense, because I was just kind of a little too conservative at the beginning and it really slowed the company's growth um, because I was kind of getting in the way with that conservative mindset. Yeah, I think there's an old adage that goes something along the lines of uh, scared money don't make no money. Exactly, precisely. And it's Pursuit Spirits has really uh, pushed me in that regard. I'm still scared, but I feel more and more comfortable about what we're doing. But it's helped definitely made it's definitely made me help make better, way better business decisions with Go Green. Like, you know, we're living in crazy times where you're having to secure materials for a year in advance. Prices are volatile. You don't know whether to lock in or this or that. And understanding the finance side at a scale like Pursuit Spirits is going to be and seeing those, how those margins add up, you know, even if they're just like a one to two percent margin has really helped me make better business decisions for Go Green at securing materials, you know, using debt to um, get the best deal in the paying that back, you know, as we produce cash throughout the year. And it, it just helped me make so much better decisions that we put more money back into the company and into our pockets um, because of learning this finance side on the, the scale of Pursuit Spirits. I feel like this is a safe question to ask because uh, Kenny is not here. You talk so much about your passion for this. And then I know that what really gets you, what gets you going has been the blending side of this. And so I feel like I can ask, what are some aspects of the process, be it types of barrels, distillate, mash bill, ingredients that people blend with? What are, what are the things that, or what is something that interests you the most in this hobby as a whole in all the things that you could get nerdy about is there a side of the industry that has you most interested that we don't often talk about yeah definitely the the maturation side is very interesting um andrew with independent stave and you know and also folks at like interstave and west virginia barrel company and they really have like dialed in the research of like hey you know if you use this wood at this char or at this this you're going to get these flavors at this age of this product if you want and that really fascinates me and you know i'm always trying to like poke the bear kenny like because we we obviously have a great foundation for united you know those three awesome mash bills but we kind of had to pivot you know this year and get a 75 21 4 mash bill because bbc didn't have it and it was fun working with that you know and seeing the different flavors it pulled out and so I'm like, I'm really excited to try different mash bills and also try different maturations. Like, you know, Independent Staves really pushing research that says if you're going to sell a four to six year old whiskey, you need to be doing a barrel one or sorry, a char one. You know, whereas the industry standard's been char three or four for hundreds of years. And it's just because they have data on it that says it pulls out more caramel, rounds out some of those grain notes, you know, at younger ages more sweeter on the profile. Whereas if you're going to do a three or four, it needs to be, you know, an older, you know, release like an eight to 12 year old. And so it's like, okay, how can we use a mash bill plus the maturation side to create interesting, new flavors to build, to just put another, I want to build a, I want to build a really big spice cabinet, you know, with pursuit spirits that, you know, we have these great base products, but I can sprinkle in, 
this different mash bill with this different char, you know, to pull out different flavors with each batch. That's what's kind of really exciting to me. And like the wood finishing side has been like a fascinating rabbit hole. Um, just seeing how different woods and different wine barrels and different chars and this and that really affect the distillate. Cause you know, where we're distilling at, they got it nailed. Like I don't, I understand distilling, but we don't really need to mess with that part. I'm not so interested in that, but I'm interested in how do we use that distillate in a match and do it in maturation that makes it unique to us is kind of what I'm interested in. Yeah. I, I would assume that, you know, moving into the finishing and those projects that we're going to be seeing, you know, going into the end of the year or continuing on from there has been an interesting sandbox to be in because yeah, you know, we, we have been focusing on pursuit, United bourbon pursuit, United rye, and then even before then, some of those Pursuit Series single barrels. So yeah, we get to you get to experiment in a slightly different way to get those gears turning. Yeah, absolutely. And Pursuit United and Bourbon and Rye are definitely going to be staples. And Kenny's been awesome at getting us, you know, getting a pipeline of having that consistency where we can have a really good product. <laughs> My other business partner says this about me too, is like, in the go green side, and this is one of my greatest downfalls is and maybe one of my greatest strengths too, is that as soon as like, I got something figured out, he's like, you want to break it and try something new. It's like, why can't you just let it work for a little bit? <laughs> and it's like, that's just, I don't know. That's just my personality is like, as soon as I figure something out, I'm like, all right, well, how can we break it apart and push it to get it even better? And sometimes that's blown up in my face. You know, it's a, uh, and creates more problems, create some fusions on, you know, with staff and this and that. But, um, yeah, I think in the whiskey and being, you know, this is what I really love about the blending side because I can put some of that creativity, those creative juices into the blending side and you don't have to be so systemized and, you know, having SOPs for that. It's really kind of, you know, an artistic creative endeavor that really excites me. Well, what's your personal end goal in this? I, you know, you talk all the time about how, uh, enjoyable blending is it, do you want to blend your your whole time like a, you know for the history for the future that you see with pursuit spirits is that what you see as your end goal is just you doing that forever and ever and ever amen i mean that would be that would be heaven for me too i love meeting you know i love working with you know the distillers and the the operation people at the distilleries and the facility people that you work with. I, I love learning and just being around people as well. It gives me like a huge jolt of energy. Like I just love people and learning their stories. And so I, I, how I would love to blend only, but I, I'd like, I just like being around people as well. So help promoting the brand, uh, help telling the story, sharing the story, but also working with you know, our contractors and the people we do all our sourcing with, I, I really get fascinated. And I love collaborating too. Like I'm really fortunate that I got to work with Dan at Bardstown Bourbon Company on a collaboration blend we're doing. And that was so much fun. You know, with United, we're kind of limited in what we have to work with and being able to have their whole arsenal of aged barrels and inventory to blend with was like, it was a dream come true. And, and, you know, working with Dan, he's got such a creative mindset and like his own system and just seeing how, you know, we differed, but how similar we were, that was like so much fun. And I'd love to do, I've learned so much from like Dixon Deadman, Drew's Colesveen, Joe and Tripp from Barrel, Nancy Frail. I'd love to like collaborate with other people and just learn how they do things too. It's a, 
it really gets my, it sounds weird, gets my juices flowing, but it's, you know, I, I get really excited about those things. Absolutely. Well, I'll ask one kind of final question and maybe you have something for this. Maybe you don't, but what's one future goal that you have with Pursuit Spirits that that might seem super far away or super unrealistic at this time that you hope to see come to fruition in the lifespan of Pursuit Spirits? My goal, I think, with all my businesses has really it's turned from what can it do for me to like, what can we, how can I use these opportunities to like empower other people? I'm just really excited about the growth opportunities we have for the company that outside of Kenny and I, like I, I really, that's what excites me. I want to bring on some like really good talent and help us grow and help us build and not just make it about us. I want to have a company that really thrives outside of us and has you know, really people focus and make it a great place to work. You know, that, that would be a success for me. I mean, money's fine. You know, that's, that's great. But once you know, it's like anything in your, in life, once you hit a certain amount, you're going to just keep wanting more and it, it never stops. So I'm, I'm content with the financial side's fine, but what really would make this satisfying and mean, meaningful is creating opportunities for others to help grow this company with us. That's, that's what really gets that's my end goal with this. Yeah. You know, there's a little bit of an unfair advantage here, not being able to like tag team this topic with Kenny on the show, but I think it's kind of nice to take a little break away from that. And we'll do a sit down with Kenny as well. But while we're mentioning, you know, what do you, what do you enjoy the most about being able to share this particular thing uh, with Kenny and, and what you all have built uh, with, with the brand? You know, we talked about how busy and how, crazy my schedule can be. And I, I think I'm a hard worker. I thought I was like one of the hardest working people. And then I met Kenny and he's just nonstop. Like his brain is always churning. And like, what I love about that is like, he's always open to like, hear my thoughts, comments. He's always wanting to like work on the business. There's so anytime I want to do that, he's, he's there to do it. I never feel like Oh no, I'm interfering with something with him. He's just always there for me and for this company to to push it. I mean, he'll I'll wake up at five thirty and he's I can see that he sent emails at three AM, you know, to ten different people, ten different vendors, like following up and this and that. And he's so damn organized. Like if it if this company were as up to me, it you know, it wouldn't happen because I, everything would just crumble underneath me because he's just so good at like having a task and accomplishing it. It really allows me to help build relationships, focus on the whiskey, um, which is very important. And so it's just been an incredible working relationship that, uh, yeah, I'm super grateful for. It's been a, this has been a good episode. I feel like I was just thinking earlier today about researching kind of management and, and operational a podcast or, or book reads because it's kind of things that I've been thinking about a lot lately. And it's interesting to hear uh, your thoughts on things that are kind of been playing back around in my head. So I hope this is insightful to other people too, whether they're in the, the spirit industry or not. If anyone out there has, has gotten some insight from this or has even more questions, you know, email us podcast at pursuitspirits.com. We'll make sure that Ryan gets a chance to, to get some eyeballs on that and, uh, and maybe respond to any questions I have, or are there other things you all want to hear on maybe future episodes that that dive in more specifically to to managing you know multiple businesses or to b- being able to, to to set target goals or 
any of that stuff, you know, maybe some more things that we didn't find, finally get into with this, uh, let us know. Podcast at Pursuit Spirits dot com you know you talk about managerial and this and that it's it's a psychological like you know people humans are interesting they want to break shit all the time you know and it's just <laughs> trying to figure out how to keep them from breaking shit and you know myself <laughs> included and so that's uh, my biggest takeaway is you know try to understand you know the different people around you empathize with them see what makes them motivate them love on them you know, and just help build the world, you know, to be a better place, a good working place. Cause then people bring passion and enjoyment to their work and, you know, then every, the world will be a better place, you know? So if we wouldn't get slapped with a lawsuit, I'd just put it in this with heal the world, you know, just trailing <laughs> off instead of our yep. normal outro, but yep. Heal the world. That. Appreciate you, Brian, too. You've been awesome, uh, working with us and, uh, I'm, I'm excited to have you along the journey as well. Hey, that's super kind. I appreciate you saying that. Gosh, now I feel super encouraged. I'm ready to go on. I'm motivated now. Yeah, you you done did. Take on the day tomorrow. You done did it and you did well, kid. Yeah. I can't even say my normal thanks, gents, because it's just you. But man, I appreciate you jumping on and and kind of giving that lowdown. And again, maybe not next episode specifically, but look forward to an episode where we sit down with Kenny as well on his own and kind of see what kind of things make him tick. You all know where to find us. Make sure you're leaving a review. Let us know if you're enjoying the show. Recommend us to a friend. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Until next time, we'll see you all later. Toodles. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus Magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus Magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com bourbon, all lowercase. And go to shopify.com bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today, shopify.com slash bourbon. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Pursuit from Bourbon to Brand. However you found us, we're glad you're here as we get a behind-the-scenes look with the Pursuit Spirits brand. My name is Brian. I am your host. And joining me tonight, 
Like last time when we had Ryan isolated, we have the one and only Kenny Coleman joining us. Kenny, how are you doing tonight? Hey, Brian. I, I guess pressure is on for me. I mean, I think Ryan said the same exact thing last time. We, always, we usually lean on each other a lot for the answers. We have a very good dynamic of going back and forth because we we kind of know I wouldn't say we don't know how to we don't know how to finish each other's sentences, but we know when somebody's finishing their sentence. And so they know when to go and pick up and, and kind of go on and, and start talking after that. So it'll be uh, see what kind of dynamic me and you have. I hope you guys don't miss each other too bad. You know, it's it's nice to get a little break. Absence makes the heart grow fonder at the same time. <laughs> I mean, we text each other 30 times a day uh, easily, right. easily. Well, speaking of something that's going to be happening together I know that we already released this information, so at the time of this recording, uh, it's it's old news, but we have the Pursuit brand hitting the road to promote Pursuit United, Bourbon and Rye. You want to talk about that a little bit for anyone who didn't catch the announcement already? Yeah, this was, honestly, this all kind of came about, it was never a big intention to go and say, hey, we need to go on a 13-city tour against five states and all these markets in three months because we felt like doing it. It was honestly, it just kind of happened because we were asked, actually, we we're, we we're, you know, we were bottled United. We got it out the door and we knew that we had to go and just do some market visits every once in a while and go and check up on things and kind of see how things are going and do some store visits, do some education for distributors and stuff like that. And then we sent everything to Ohio and then the state of Ohio comes back and they go, hey, uh, and it was trying to mention there was somebody that is a fan of the podcast and they've been listening to it forever. And when they found out that we were dropping United in Ohio, they said, I would really encourage you to do like a five city tour in Ohio and we'll promote it. We'll do all this sort of stuff behind it. And I was like, I don't really know. I was like, can't we just put it on the shelves and like just let people go buy it? And they said, well, what time do you think that you could make it? And I looked at my calendar. I said, I think maybe the week of September 19th, I can get up there. She said, oh my God, that's perfect. There's no other bourbon releases that entire week. And I was like, okay, I guess that's uh, that's the, the impetus that we need to kind of make this happen. So as soon as that happened, I started getting on the horn to all of our distributors, some of our stores that we know with relationships around Kentucky and a few different places. And I just started figuring out, okay, well, how can I set up all these things that, you know, all these places I want to go and see, uh, stores we want to go visit. It all kind of worked out pretty well because my actual day job has me going to Chicago and Dallas in October, November. And I looked at that and I said, perfect. We're already distributed in Chicago and Dallas. I'll just make a trip out of it and go and do some market visits up there while we're doing that too. So it it all just kind of fell together pretty quickly. And now that I'm looking at the calendar of events, it's almost a little daunting because this week when you know you're hearing this episode, we're getting ready to go to Kentucky Bourbon Festival, which is happening uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Mostly just Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, but. You know, this is going to be the first time that we're going to be owning and staffing a booth for an entire weekend. It was something that I know when we saw Kentucky Bourbon Festival kind of pop up, I said, I think we should be a part of this. And that's because the people at KBF, they originally sent a message to me at Bourbon Pursuit saying, oh, we'd love for you to just come and cover it, maybe do a podcast on it. We can have a table where you can set up equipment. And I said, I, I don't, I don't want to do that. Because Kentucky Bourbon Festival, even though if I brought my equipment, 
It's not going to create a great recording environment. It's not going to be a good product in the day for the listeners. So instead, what I want to do is I want to be there and I want to promote the hell out of the podcast and I want to promote the hell out of our whiskey. And so that's why we said, let's go ahead. We'll step it up and let's get a booth. Let's pay the entrance fee. We're going to bring in a bunch of cases of whiskey for people to try. And that's just one of those things that as we start going down this path, we're starting to realize that more people just need to try the whiskey. It's the same reason why samples at Costco work so well is because you're walking up down the aisle, you see it right there in the corner, you're like, well, okay, I'll get that. And you're like, oh, Detroit Company Pizza is actually pretty damn delicious. Let me go ahead and get a box of that. I mean, I'm a sucker for it. I fall for all the time. And this is the same thing that we have to do inside of the whiskey world is that you've got to get people to try the product to be able to to kind of make that leap and, and purchase it. So so now we're this is kind of the the thing is that we're we're trying to go and shake hands and kiss babies and get people to try the whiskey so they can become stewards of the brand and they can know more about it. And I think it's it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be strenuous to say the least to be able to kind of put all those miles on the car and make all that happen. But I think it'll it'll be it'll it'll pay dividends in the end. And that's what I'm looking forward to. Not just for not just for the whiskey and the brand, but also just to meet people. I think that's one of those things that I'm very excited to be able to do as well is that knowing we have such a, a hardcore audience of bourbon enthusiasts, not just in the Patreon community, but beyond that, uh, of course, the Patreon people are going to, they're going to show up. And, and I really appreciate everybody that, that is able to do that and really kind of be the crowd gatherers and the crowd starters. But beyond that, it's just an opportunity to meet a lot of people that are listeners of the show out there. I mean, gosh, we do forty to 50,000 unique people that listen every single month. I'd love for every single one of them to come out. But I know that's a, that's a big ask. But I'm just saying I, I'm really looking forward to having everybody kind of come out, meet people. I'm not going to be remembering his name because I'm not good at remembering names, but you know, just the fact that we can we can shake hands with the people that listen to us and we can kind of understand exactly sort of where they are in their bourbon journey and how they found us and and you know how they how they enjoy the show and everything like that. I think it it means a lot to be able to to do something like this too. And aside from being able to try the whiskey, which is obviously key point there, you're going to have some other items there. I think you were talking about some glassware and whatnot, which which we've gone back and forth as something that people haven't necessarily been able to access before, right? But some of those things might be there. Yeah, I, I kind of went through, I didn't order a bunch of new stuff. I kind of went through our existing inventory that we had. I mean, it, I've got all kinds of stuff in my basement because it's just, there's nowhere else to put it. And I'm not going to open up a a retail store online and be in the the business of shipping glass because that's just nothing that that's nothing I want to do. However, we're going to have, I think, I don't know, somewhere around north of like 60 different Glen Cairns, a few different coupe glasses. There's going to be some t-shirts and stuff like that, that you can order online when you're there. You can also order the bottles via seal box after you get try it when you're there. And one of the coolest things that I, I'm really excited for that we kind of sprung to make it happen. I know that when I go to any kind of any conference or anything like that, there's got to be something that draws you into the booth. People are usually doing like giveaways or something like that. But we were out at a at a friend's house and they had this big giant Connect Four board. And I was like, that's it. A giant Connect Four board. Like that's going to get people in. So I ended up finding this person on Etsy who makes custom ones. And now we've got this thing. It's like almost three and a half feet wide. It's five feet tall. And then all the discs either have Bourbon Pursuit or the Pursuit Spirits logo on them. 
And so you can kind of play connect for So it's an easy way to kind of get people engaged, having fun, uh, playing a game when you're going to be outdoors. So it'll be, it'll be an interesting little thing to have there. You mentioned that you're going to be in Chicago, that you're going to be in Dallas uh, for your current job. And, and I want to start off this episode and I've got, I got a direction I want to take it, but I want to start this episode the same way that I did with the episode that we just did with Ryan. And I'm kind of curious I want to start by talking about what a week in the life of Kenny looks like from from your regular day-to-day that you do to what you're doing when it comes to pursuit. What's what's a week look like for you? Yeah, well, I can tell you Ryan's definitely we we're a lot different in regards of of how we operate. Ryan as you'd probably listened to last time, you know, talked about being a very spiritual person, talked about his meditation, this kind of time to center and relax. For me, I am very much the opposite. I I feel that idols, idle hands are the devil's playground. So I'm constantly having to do something. So he talked about getting up and praying and meditating and stuff like that. Uh, the first, and you, gotta, you understand that he wakes up at like four or 5 a.m., I only wake up at 4 or 5 a.m. because I'm old and I have to go to the bathroom. It's not because I, I want to get up and start my day. I, I want to sleep in as much as possible. And typically, it's around 8 a.m. is usually when I'm getting up every day. If it's the weekends, we're laying in bed because we're lazy till 9, 9.30, sometimes 10, and then we'll get out. I mean, we're up at 8, 8.30, but we don't really get out of bed because we're sitting there just looking at our phones. But, but I mean, that's I'm kind of like a lot of people out there. I wake up. And the first thing I do is I open up my email and I see what do I need to tackle? What do I need to delete? And that kind of starts my my precedence for the day. How deep is my email inbox? And, and this is kind of a bad thing about me too, is I have this addiction to inbox zero. So I'm constantly looking at it. I'm constantly either answering things, trying to tackle things. And I guess that kind of just goes back into my like sort of task-oriented style that I am. So the first thing I'm doing when I'm getting up Besides just kind of getting myself ready of just brushing my teeth, putting my clothes on, then I got to get my daughter ready because I'm on daddy duty in the morning is that I've got to get her up. I got to get her moving and I got to get the pancake made. Every, it's like clockwork. It's every single morning I have to make a chocolate chip pancake for my daughter. It, we utilize the Kodiak protein pancakes with the Costco cho- chocolate chips in there. I mean, it's... I've probably made 4,000 of my life now. So I've got the the timing down to a science on how to make the perfect pancake. So after the pancake's made, after that point, then it's just corralling her, getting her off to school. And then after she's in school, I'm at my desk around 9 to 9.15. And that's again, when I just start tackling things of, of looking at emails that were, you know, I left unread or I put a star next to that I know I need to go and tackle. And then I'll go and to look at my, not in, when I say emails, that's also my personal, that's Burn Pursuit, that's Pursuit Spirits, as well as work. And so I'm trying to balance all that at the same exact time. And then from there, during the day, it is a, it's a balancing act. I'm sitting there working on things for my day job, whether it's projects, dealing with team meetings. I mean, it's the tech side and tech world. Everybody kind of knows you, there's at least three to four hours of meetings every single day that you have to go in. And it's always one of those hard things because it's hard to get really concentrated on something when you have to continually 
bounce in and out of meetings. You just lose that that train of focus because it takes about, I think, 30 or 45 minutes to actually get into a groove of doing something. But once you have to leave and go to a meeting, you, you kind of lose that aspect of it. It's it's a constant balance of, of doing that every single day, of, of just going back and forth between all three jobs and figuring out what you need to tackle, what needs to get done. But that day doesn't end at five. A day doesn't end at six. That day usually ends at 10 or 11 at night. And so that's kind of really what my my Monday through, I should say Sunday through Friday really comprises of. I, I kind of really shut down around Friday at five and then Friday and then Saturday, I kind of take those days either for me or I'll do some other catch up stuff. I mean, it sounds bad, but I'm still playing catch up. I'm still doing bourbon stuff on Friday nights and Saturday nights if I've got nothing else going on. Sometimes joining in the virtual happy hour that we have for our Discord crew on the on the bourbon pursuit side. Then, you know, sometimes in the weeknights, it's a little bit of family time. I do my best to try to shut my phone off and be present there with my wife during dinner. But I've also, I never, I was never in the military, but the way I eat, you might think I was because I finished my food in like less than three minutes. Like it's quick. I, I don't take a second to breathe, to talk, to take a drink or anything like that. It's just constantly scarfing food down. And then she gets mad at me when I start, when I finish my food and she's just kind of getting started. I'm done. And so I start clearing my plate and start cleaning stuff up around the kitchen. And so my wife's mad at me because I'm not spending any time with her. But I that goes back to me just like constantly having to do something instead of just being in the a moment talking about something. But that's something I have to get better at. Yeah, for the most part, that's that's a that's a very hectic week for me. People probably know that I don't know how to turn it off. I'm constantly busy, constantly thinking about things. I mean, just to give you an idea, earlier tonight we got done. Should I say, my daughter was supposed to go to softball practice. It got canceled, so me and her ate early because we we thought we we're gonna have to go, but the rain killed it. So my wife comes down and she's eating her dinner, and I sit there and I I hover over the other chair on the opposite side of the table, just looking at her because I'm just trying to be there with her. And she was like, can you please sit down? I was like, I feel like I've been sitting down all day. I feel like I need to stand. Uh, and then after that was over, she was like, okay, I'm going to go upstairs and watch TV because that's how she shuts off. She shuts off and watches her TV shows. And I go, okay, well, I'm going to go and look and build automations for non-resident sellers reports that I have to do every single month for Pursuit Spirits for uh, the states that we're in, because it's something that's been on a task list forever. And it takes a little bit of coding to figure out exactly when a QuickBooks invoice gets submitted. And I got to go and figure out the state where it went. And then I got to look at the amount of quantities and turn it into proof gallons and send myself an email. So I know exactly when to go ahead and submit that at the end of every single month. Uh, I've been doing it manually for a long time. So it's just one of those things that I'm constantly looking for efficiencies and ideas. And so I'll, I'll, I have my Evernote with like 30 or 40 different things of wish lists. And that was one of them. I started tackling tonight. And even before we started tonight, I realized like, oh crap, I broke one of the auto, like basically something that could easily break if I don't fix it. So I'm just like going back. It's because I'm not a really good coder. It's a, I'm a fragile coder. So I'm, I'm trying my best to go through and fix things where they, they might misstep in there too. But Again, it's just one of those things about me. I just I just can't turn it off. And I'm just constantly thinking when I'm going to bed as well as I wake up, all three jobs, family, all that sort of stuff. So balance, balance, balance. And I'm not the best at it, but I'm working my butt to try and make it happen. 
Well, let's take a step back then. I'm curious, this data-driven nature and technology, how and when did it become such an important part to how you operate? I mean, technology in itself came a part of me as when I was a really young age, my dad got his first uh, 386 is kind of when I got into computers. It was when he got his first work computer. He worked for Thermo Fisher or Fisher Scientific back in the day. And he got a, his first work computer. I remember it was, a, it was an i386 and there was like this golf game on it. I don't remember what it was, but it was some golf game. It had that and like a word processor. That's that's all it had, not even Windows. And that's kind of like my first introduction into using computers. And so I was really fascinated with it, really fascinated with video games growing up. And, you know, you can kind of continue this cycle. You start getting, you know, your actual first computer, getting into high school. I started building computers. I went to Trinity High School here in Louisville. And back at the time, I don't know if they have any more, but back then it was one of the first high schools in the nation that offered Cisco networking certifications as a, as a curriculum. Usually those are things that are left for people in the trade and in the profession. And I said, all right, I'll give it a go. I'll try it. Again, just kind of like, I just love technology, loved everything about it. Me and my friends would do all these, looking back, they were not the most uh, glorified moments, but just doing a bunch of stupid stuff on AOL back in the day, you know, stealing passwords and uh, everything like that, that we could kind of figure out how to do script kitty stuff <laughs> way back then. And, not proud of it, but you know, it's one of those things that you learn. Uh, you learn how to mess with the technology, you learn how to do good things. And I mean, for people that are network security, like you got to learn how to do bad things, be able to protect yourself against those things too. We're able to kind of manipulate our way into a lot of mischief as kids, you know, going through there, going into college, I knew I wanted to stay in tech, uh, never really stirred, stirred far away from it. Didn't go into computer science because computer science requires engineering degree, which requires a lot of math classes. And as anybody that's close to me will tell you, is that I am not good at math whatsoever. I'm one of those people that said, I will have a calculator with me at all times and it's going to be in my pocket, which ends up being my cell phone. So that's that's kind of where I, I drew the line that I had to move out of the actual CS program and get into what was called like management information systems. Long story short, it's just a bunch of coding inside of Excel. I only did that for about a year out of college and I said, I'm not doing this ever again. So I uh, ended up finding a few different paths choosing a few different technologies that led me down uh, some really, should I say, really good technologies that led me down a very successful career inside of technology. I've been fortunate to work for a lot of great companies over the past few years. And it's just one of those things that I don't think I would have had that chance if I didn't find technology at a young age, or if I wouldn't have found it appealing. I really had a, a big fascination with technology for a very, very long time. It was kind of like our first love. My One of my first jobs out of college, I was working for a law firm in downtown Louisville. This is also when I was dating my wife and now wife Lauren at the time. What I would do is I would actually go into work on a Friday and Saturday nights because the server room, I was the network guy. The server room was a freaking mess. There were some wires just going everywhere. And so I would spend my Friday nights re rerunning cables because I wanted the server room to look pretty. And that's kind of what I did when I didn't have a chance to go out partying or something like that. I'd go ahead and do that because I knew nobody was going to be in the office. Nobody would care. And as long as I had a maintenance window, then it was fine. But you know, it's one of those things that I, I had a lot of good fun with technology for a very, very long time in my career. And now I'm getting to the point where it's, I still enjoy it. But now that I'm like really passionate about bourbon, I'm noticing how fast, and I noticed this before, 
and it's just noticing a lot more now is how fast technology changes and how hard it is to keep up with everything. Um, the the types of programming languages change every four to five years of what things have to be built in. The the types of technologies that you're running your applications in, they change every five to 10 years. And you just constantly have to stay up with it. It's not like accounting. Well, I, sh- I should say, I'm not trying to do a dig on accounting, but I feel like accounting kind of stays pretty constant for the most part, except some tax laws change every once in a while. But as a part of all that, to kind of go back to what you're saying, is like, how did you become so data focused? There was a few positions that I had in my career where data played a big critical role into how you had to think, but mostly in how you measured yourself. That is because in the the positions that I had, you had to show your value. And the only way you could show your value is by having the data that proved it said, okay, you made this many impact on this many people. You had this many views. You got this many hits. You got whatever it is. And that translates into, okay, are you meeting the expectations that have been set in front of you? Part of that is you have to be able to set those goals and kind of know exactly what you're working towards as well. You have the data, you have to figure out how to track it. And once you have the data, then you can measure it. Just to give you an idea, I've been using data for a long time just on the podcast side because you're able to look at the growth of listeners over time. You're able to look at your social metrics. You're able to look at uh, Patreon metrics. You can look at exactly at what point did we have a, a huge spike and you can try to attribute that to certain things that you've done, whether it's advertising or whether it's any kind of campaigns, anything like that. And so data plays a big role in, in almost everything. And one of the things that I'll always say is if somebody tries to push something in front of me and if the data says something else, you know, I'll be like, the data doesn't lie. At the end of the day, it doesn't because you kind of have to go in with it as a sort of analytical mindset rather than kind of leading with your heart. But I know it's a kind of a long-winded way to put it, but that's sort of how I've become, you know, really fascinated with the technology side of things, but really letting data lead some of the decisions that I do make. So this is another thing that I that I was thinking about because I know how data-driven you have things when it comes to the barrel picks, the things for bourbon pursuit, and, and what you mentioned with the roadmap and whatnot with pursuit spirits. Do you ever think that the the data logging that you do takes away from the in-person experience that that also exists or coincides with a lot of things we do, whether it's pick experiences, whether it's, you know, rolling out of a product or say coming up on this, the tour that's going on. Do you think that, you know, being able to gather information to put in the data or to follow the roadmap that might be laid out through Excel spreadsheets or not, do you think it takes away? No, I think it, it it's a necessary part of it. Uh, just to take the tour as as, a, as an example, well, well, we'll have to see how many bottle sales come out of it. Does it offset the cost that it takes for hotel rooms and plane rides and gas and everything like that? And and my time that is is involved with doing it too. You know, if if it offsets it, okay, cool. Then I guess we see that. You know, we'll, we'll see what depletion rates are were like. We'll see what sales look like. And therefore, we can attribute to the actual time that's invested into it. That's that's the way I work, Brian, is that anything is going to have data at the end of it. And the good thing is everything that we do is is all digitized nowadays. And we can take that and we can attribute different things to uh, end results as well as what is the, that moment that is going to make a difference in the process as well. You know, the tour is one thing. 
the barrel picks and the Patreon experience, yes, you're always going to have to be there in person and be a part of it. But there's also numbers behind it as well is that we have to look at a lot of different things because people are wanting to sign up and they want to be on the barrel picks. And I have to go, well, you have about, um, you know, X percent of chance of actually getting on a barrel pick this year because you're in this particular tier and you only have this many chances to get on because we're going to do maybe 30 in-person picks or something like that. We're going to do, we're going to choose like over 50 barrels, but maybe only 30 person picks. And so your, your odds of getting in are going to be X amount, but that's, that's just one of those things that, yeah, maybe that takes away from the experience a little bit, but it's also good to know as as a as a baseline of people that are wanting to explore the option and figure out exactly, is this right for me? Well, I can give you some data just to say, here you go, this is what it looks like. And I also think that helps in the back end too, is that even in the just in the barrel pick side is that you can go and you can see all the barrel picks that we've ever done, ever as a part of Bourbon Pursuit. And you can see exactly when we did it, uh, the day we did it, what was the sticker theme? How many bottles came out of it? What was the price that it sold for? Who was the retailer? And by being able to keep a log of that, I, I couldn't tell you how many times we've had to go back and revisit and look at that spreadsheet for various things to say, okay, well, we can see that we paid X for a bottle back in 2019. It's gone up another 20% now and so on and so forth. But those are just the things that is, if you have the data, you have it handy, it's easily referenceable and it's something that you can look at and just uh, use as a, as, a ga- as a gauge for future decision-making purposes as well. And, and you had mentioned a little bit ago too, when you were just talking about keeping up with the different types of technology that are going on and that, you know, that, there's, that they're starting to move faster than you're able to have the time to keep up with them. Do you think that there are certain things, trends that you're seeing in the industry? maybe things that you're having to deal with pursuit spirits, maybe that you're seeing other brands uh, that are really working with where things are either on the technology side, either on maybe just mediums of which we're currently presented with. And this could, I mean, this is all over the place, you know, maybe not just technology for technology's sake when it comes to equipment or any of that stuff. But, you know, when we have a rise in, in people talking about NFTs, you've got cryptocurrency, you have all this (laughs) random stuff, all this new happening so quickly, um, how do you see that presently like converging with the, the traditions that we've had as it pertains to uh, spirits at, at the, the whiskey industry or where you guys find yourself today and or, you know, potentially other non-distilling producers, distilling producers uh, that you deal with? So there's a common quote that's in my industry and you say it mostly for a lot of companies. And that's because you've seen, by the way of Kodak, you've seen a lot of different companies out this way, is that either adapt or die. And technology will disrupt absolutely every single industry. Whiskey's gonna be no different. Now, are you gonna use technology to make the whiskey, the whiskey itself different? Yeah, I mean, you've got some people that are trying it already today and you've got your, you know, your different spirits companies and your sonic waves or whatever, but that's, that's not necessarily what I'm, what I'm talking about. What I'm really looking at is, is the operational efficiencies. You already look at pretty much every single distillery that's out there today. How many people are out there actually turning knobs? I don't know, 5%. Is it just all the craft distilleries? Maybe it's just the craft ones because they're using maybe a small pot still. They're, they don't have the the bankroll to be able to sit there and afford a, a, a big custom, you know, computer controlled 
still operational thing. Like you go and look at any modern facility, it's all computer operated. And for the most part, I, I think that's probably because, yeah, it's going to be operationally more efficient. You're going to have a better product at the end of the day. If it, if they weren't doing that, then they wouldn't be doing it. And it's going to save not only just in, you know, the manpower that goes into it, but there's a lot of things that technology can catch that the human eye can't. And I mean, gosh, that's kind of why I'm really excited for autonomous vehicles and stuff like that too. I, I just, well, that can be a whole other episode of just like why I want autonomous vehicles to be everywhere and no, no longer, I don't want to have to touch the steering wheel, but I, I see that the way that technology moves in a, in a way that from an operational perspective of a distillery, yeah, you have to learn to adopt it. I don't know much about on the back end of what it's like to say like, oh, how do you do barrel inventory and how do you sit there and measure, you know, what's happening inside the warehouses? I know there's a few different companies that are out there and you can Google them and they're working with folks at like Barstown Bourbon Company and they're doing like the internet of things on every single barrel where you can measure the humidity changes inside of the barrel through different seasons. You can look at evaporation rates. You can look at alcohol vapor. I mean, you can look at all this data that they're pulling off this little sensor that they've got inside the barrel and that's going to give them some information they can pull off. And that's probably all somehow network meshed into something that all feeds into a backend database and they can use some level of analytics to decide exactly, okay, this is what's happening over in this side of the warehouse and so on and so forth. Um, Andrew Weinberg over at Independent Stave, he's got a lot of great information of essentially how barrels have changed over time in a regular rickhouse versus a palletized warehouse and how they're pulling out different types of chemicals. So Independent Stave has a lot of good things going on when it comes to their, you know, but the... The NFT thing, ah, yeah, you're right. Maybe that is moving too fast. I I saw that as, I mean, don't be wrong. I, I got a little chub when people started talking about NFTs and I started looking into it and I was like, okay, I, I kind of get this. I kind of get it. I'm still young enough that I can get it, but old enough, I'm sort of like, I don't really, I don't get this. <laughs> so it, it took me a little bit to understand exactly the values that NFTs were going to bring just in general. And I jumped on one and I know a few other people jumped on the, the party horses bandwagon because, well, A, you got a free bottle of Maker's Mark as a part of being able to do this. But for me personally, I also had connections with the person that was actually running the NFT as well as the artist. The artist was somebody that I worked with at my first job, actually out of college. And so that's why I, I had this sort of personal connection that I wanted to be a part of it. Plus you got a free bottle of bourbon out of it. I said, what the hell, I'll go ahead and spend a couple hundred dollars. If I know we've all spent money in dumber ways, so we'll just figure out if this will if this will work or not. But as we've all kind of seen, the whole crypto thing was up and down really quickly. And it's starting to make a comeback, but it's still going to be years away from what it was not too, not too long ago. But I don't know, the, the NFT thing's a little little kind of pie in the sky. I don't anticipate doing any NFTs anytime soon. We're just going to try to focus on selling bottles the old fashioned way and with a, with a credit card, not even Venmo. Yeah. This whole web three thing is even where I, I said, I'm still a little, I feel it's far-fetched. Everybody says it's coming and I don't disagree for the most part, but I would feel that it won't be coming for another 10, 15, 20 years until we see that happen. 
I've got a VR system set up here behind me, but it's about five or six years old. And hell, I don't want to leave leave that thing in my head for more than 20 minutes. It starts hurting after a while. <laughs> so you've got to figure out a way to just make the gear comfortable to be able to sit there in general. There's also, this would, it would make sense in a world of COVID or it makes sense in a world where you don't want to be in a, a social type of atmosphere that you, maybe, maybe it's like the, the answer for all introverts, right, is, is going to be meta because you can go ahead and be like, oh, let's go ahead. You know, introverts unite alone, but let's go ahead and do it. <laughs> um, so that would be like one of those things where I could see where, you know, people are going to gather. And I understand people are doing it already. You have your your bourbon societies, you're gathering via, via Zoom, doing virtual happy hour or something like that. There's no difference. Uh, there's no difference in, in doing that via in meta versus doing it over zoom except you're just going to have a different type of visual experience as you're doing it as well and i guess it depends on if your glass is going to hit your vr goggles or not as you're pulling it up <laughs> that's right <laughs> the uh you know the, the second part of it is that you know buffalo trace has already actually done a full vr experience of their entire distillery you can go ahead and you can go to their website and i don't, I don't remember where it was but reported on it, i think two years ago and you can go ahead and you can kind of have this sort of you know, 3D experience inside of their distillery. Pretty novel idea, but you didn't see them make any more noise out of out of it after that was done. It's been two years since then. I don't think anybody's probably heard anything from it. Angel's Envy did something in Meta and bought some land there or something like that. I mean, again, it's one of those things that, yeah, you make some noise now because it's the cool thing to do. I don't understand, and I'm sure a lot of people here is like, I don't understand why you would buy property in Meta when it's essentially endless, and you know, just you can make more no matter no matter where you go. So that's it's one of those things that I I still am very very hesitant to say about the future of what it's going to be. I think there's going to be a place for it, and it's going to be for what I said earlier is that you know you have just another meeting room. You're going to have something else where you can congregate remotely, but it's not going to replace that in-person experience that you're going to get. And I, by nature, I mean humans are needing some sort of personal touch. You have to have that sort of in-person experience to really know somebody and to really kind of get all that you can out of it. You had mentioned that the data you are able to come up with, the data that you're able to show for your work, it assigns value to you. What other things in your life do you find valuable? Oh, that was deep. What other things do I find valuable? You know, besides the actual, of course, there's there's value and tangible goods and stuff like that, but really you got to find the value in the, the intangible assets. And I know for me, I, I find value in the types of experiences that I'm able to get with my family. I know as I kind of said earlier is that I need to make more time for it and stuff like that. And we do, we make, we make time for it. Uh, we do a lot of stuff on weekends. We're terrible planners at, at vacation, which I think is, it's big. That's a big opposite compared to Ryan because anybody that doesn't know is that Ryan's wife, she, she does hair. And so she has her calendar booked out for like seven months in advance. And so they plan everything about a year and a half in advance for where they're going to go. Me and my wife, we plan about three weeks in advance for any place that we're going to go. And I think that's 
we find value in being able to do that only because we're not tied into some sort of thing that, you know, like we planned a year and a half ago. What, what do we do if something's changed? You know, we can kind of, you know, we can kind of move on a, on a whim if we need, you know, I, I find value in that, but that also kind of goes into value of what I have in, you know, in my, my work-life balance, my, my work is, uh, is in a good spot. And I should say my, my day job is that, you know, I'm not, I, I value that work-life balance because I'm not always cranking out 60, 70, 80 hours a week in my day job. Instead, I, I have the time that I can invest into spending the other time to make it a full 60, 78 hours a week doing bourbon stuff as well. And, you know, I, I find that truly valuable because that is what's going to give uh, a way to, I don't want to say set up, you know, a, a, a lasting future, but to be honest, like that's, that's what I want to do. I mean, I, I look at that as a way that, oh my gosh, like I see what, what Ryan's able to do is been able to grow and build his own business. And this is the first time that I've been able to do that. And I think it's a, it's a very valuable life lesson of, of what it takes to be able to do something like that. Ryan's been somebody that's taught me a lot when it comes to, you know, teaching entrepreneurial habits to his kids and teaching entrepreneurial habits to me as well is, is like, how do you get yourself to not be just another cog in the system? How do you own your own destiny and how do you build something that, um, you know, kind of lives on and kind of operates without you as well? And so that's really what I'm excited to do. I, I think that's going to be a, a really cool thing uh, to build. And, you know, if, if, if we had any say in it, Ryan and I have already kind of talked about, we're like, you know, this would be really cool for our daughters to take over one day. And if we can keep that legacy alive and we can kind of make that happen and we can convince them that bourbon is a, a good avenue to spend their careers, then so be it. I don't know. We'll see what happens. So, so you mentioned early on, and I think this is even prior to how it pertained to bourbon pursuit, but even with the data that comes from Bourbon Pursued, you mentioned being able to track metrics and and you mentioned that the data never lies and ascribing value to the data that comes from that. Now that we see how popular Bourbon Pursued has grown and uh, you know we had Pursuit Palooza, a lot of people came out and, and it's continuing to just exist as you know a, a highly desired uh, resource for people to get bourbon information. And then simultaneously, we're seeing Pursuit Spirits continue to grow. We're seeing the flagship products continue to release, growing in the amount of people, the places of which people can get them. How long do you think that those brands need to continue to grow? How big do they need to grow? How much data needs to continue to accumulate for those brands before you say that it's valuable enough. Yeah, I don't think that'll ever end. <laughs> That's it's one of those things that I am. I'm a highly competitive person, by nature as well. So just on the podcast alone, you can go to bourbonpursuit.com, and you can go look, and there's going to be a, a link on there that says whiskey podcast rankings. And I wrote a script that runs every single day and pulls basically how. Every whiskey podcast ranks in the Apple podcast charts, and it does it uh, like every night at 11 p.m. It'll update, and so therefore I know where we stand compared to everybody else. And I always look at it as 
kind of what I said earlier is that if you don't adapt, you die. Somebody else is going to eat your lunch. And that is a way to me to kind of have my finger on the pulse and know exactly, are we doing something right? Are we losing ground to somebody? Is there something that we're missing or is it kind of like, are we on the right path? And so that's a, that's a continual monitoring uh, that's that I would say is it's more observability than anything. Monitoring and observability to make sure that you are moving and trending in the right direction. Now that's just the podcast side. You know, I've, we've tried to really figure out like, how do we advertise more? How do we find new listeners? How do we find fringe things? And I have a feeling that we're with other plans that we have in the future for pursuit spirits that by being able to potentially have a, we'll call it an HQ one day that we'll be able to exponentially grow the podcast uh, listener base as well, because that it's just going to be something that it's just going to be a, a good harmonious uh, union between everything on the brand side. When is it going to be enough? Well, you know, we have this grand idea of being close to a 50,000 case brand and that should, that goal should come to fruition by 2028 to 2030 at some point. Now, once we get to that, and this is one of those things that we've we've opened up the books to a few different people just because we wanted to know exactly are we are we thinking strategically correct are we thinking too pie in the sky is this too big is this not so on and so forth and 50,000 50, case brand you know it's 300,000 bottles that is pretty much the size of Henry McKenna okay so to just to put that in perspective so to, we want to be the size of Henry McKenna just in X amount of years. That's not a big brand to say the least, right? I mean, that's just enough that we look at and we're like, okay, like this is a, a footprint that we think we can manage. And we're able to do this with just the money that Ryan and I have been able to bootstrap and fund and find ourselves. To go beyond that takes a significant more amount of cash to be able to make that happen. And when we open up those books, somebody goes, why'd you stop at 50,000? We're like, well, cause it's our money. Like we want to get paid at some point. And, you know, we're doing it already where we keep dumping more and more. Every dime that we make, we keep dumping it back into either buying inventory or buying something and not paying ourselves. But at some day we, we actually do want to pay ourselves. And, and, you know, we don't want to be a, a, a company that's completely, should I say, always trying to crawl itself out of debt. But instead we know that the, the footprint that we'll have is going to be comfortable enough that we're not going to be, you know, sitting there basically, you know, like holding the buck when things go actually go wrong. And if this thing turns and there's a huge bourbon glut, you know, we want to make sure that we have an established brand, but we don't want to be sitting on a ton of tons of inventory that we can't move. And I feel that we're going to be in a pretty good situation with that with all the investor barrels and everything that's coming online here in the next, you know, one to three years, if I were them, I'd be kind of worried because I don't know how many people need 300,000 barrels right off the bat, <laughs> unless you're somebody like us that just needs to make some spot purchases. I mean, that's, that's a lot of whiskey that's going to come on the market. So I don't want to be the one that's sitting there trying to figure out, okay, how do we bottle this? How do we get rid of it? I don't want any more in inventory than I have to have. Um, and we're going to have some other cool things that'll be aging for a while, but I don't want to sit there and sit, you know, have a warehouse full of stuff that I don't know what to do with because nobody wants to buy it. And so we just want to make sure that we're in a comfortable position. And, you know, we looked at the data, of course, and we said, this is, I think, where we could be comfortable being in the next 10 years of what we can sell and what we can manage with ourselves and a small team. 
I'll kind of close this one up with a, a similar question that I, I closed with Ryan's episode, which is, what is it uh, about about working with Ryan that is like a, a counterpoint to you that or, or a check to you? Or what are the things that you appreciate about working with him that just kind of fits into a groove with your kind of data-driven uh, analytical nature? stroke his ego here for a little bit because I know he he stroked mine but this is a good opportunity for him to I'll, I'll kind of repay it back if you will Ryan and I we, we we really are a great partnership at the end of the day I couldn't have happened you know just ran into somebody that we were able to kind of build something that you know we we definitely counterbalance each other's strengths and weaknesses when it comes to it and we come to an agreement on a, on a lot of different things it's very rare that we look at something in and disagree on it. But if we do disagree, one of us folds pretty quickly and just lets the other have the win. It's nothing that we're willing to die on a hill and say like, no, you're going to ruin this. No, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's never like that. But, you know, for Ryan, his, his background is something that has been insurmountable in the amount of advantage that we've had in building pursuit spirits. Because anybody that's never ran a business, I mean, you could think that you know how to run a business. Like I thought I knew how to run Bourbon Pursuit and I can run it. And that's one of the things is like, I ran Bourbon Pursuit like a business because, you know, if you want a hobby to be taken seriously and something like Bourbon Pursuit, if you want to be taken seriously, you need to treat it like a business. And I, tra I treated it like a business. I mean, we, we set goals, we set, we have LLC agreements, we have all this other kind of partnership agreements, there's trademarks, there's, you name it. Everything that we want to do to protect ourselves and to build the brand, we we did it the right way. Now, that's one thing of just kind of creating content and putting it out there and trying to figure out how you can get advertisers and uh, pull in money from different places. But when we started looking at actually how to run and manage a business on the Pursuit Spirit side, his background of actually having his current businesses plays a huge role. And that's because... I'm sure like any other business owner that started is he made all the mistakes up front before he started with this one. And so he's learned from all those. He knows exactly what it takes to be able to run a, a, a profit and loss and a balance sheet and how to do inventory and what the, what all that means. I, mean, I, I never had to do any of that with a podcast. I mean, sure, there's QuickBooks and stuff, but for the most part, you don't have to worry about inventory. You don't have to worry about sales tax. You don't have to worry about all this other kind of stuff. And then in the future, it's going to be health insurance. And he, he's done all that. I mean, from just a, a business managerial aspect, like he brings a lot of value just in what it's like to just to get that up and running. And when it comes to, you know, the, the other part of the business, of course, I know everything that's on able to, cause I'm very organized. I can execute. I'm very analytical. I've got my task list. I know exactly what it needs to be done. I know who to Whose door I need to beat on? Who do I need to email? Who, what about to go fish for information? But, you know, Ryan's got a, a true gift when it comes to the blending side. I know we've talked about it before that, you know, we've done plenty of like blend offs to try to figure out who could create the better one when we were first doing our initial United batch. And his just smoked mine, like smoked mine every single time. And I kind of just put my hands up in the air. I was like, that's it. I'm done. I'll, I'll come up with some good ideas. I'll make sure we execute. I'll be the COO when it comes to this, but he's the CEO. Like he's the good idea guy. He's the one that can uh, kind of like 
turn these sort of dreams into a reality. And I'm the one that can kind of execute on on sort of the vision and sort of what he sees. Uh, we both have different, we should say different. We all have similar visions on sort of where we're going. We kind of share that. We kind of share the vision. We kind of share the dream of, of where we're going to go. But, you know, he's kind of the, the golden child when it comes to actually producing the product at the end of the day. And he does a phenomenal job at it. And that's something that I couldn't do on my own. I know Fred and Ryan, they all give me credit. They're like, oh, what's your palate? Like you can, yeah, I can. I think a lot of people here can taste good bourbon. I, I just feel like, you know, I've tasted enough bad bourbon that I can know when something's good. So that's that's the way that I kind of picture it. It's not because uh, nobody here is super gifted anyway. It's just, you know, it's just repetition and making sure we, we put in those reps to to have a great product in the day. And, and like I said, it's we have a great relationship when it comes to uh, our business candor demeanor. We have the same work ethic at the end of the day too. Because if it was if it was just me putting in sixty hours, seventy hours a week, then it wouldn't feel fair. But I know Ryan does just the same, and he lives, breathes, and sleeps this business as well. Because we both want to make it success. We both know what the potential is, and and sort of how we can get out of our day jobs and just focus on bourbon full time. And that's really where we want to get to. And it's going to be a few more years until that happens. But there is a there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and. If the if the data and the spreadsheets all add up the way that we think it will, then you know it's it's an exciting thing to kind of work towards. Um, and it's one of those things that once you get there, do you just go ahead and hang up your hat and be like, ah, oh, we did it. Let's go ahead and call it quits. No, that's kind of like when the work really starts because that's going to be your your sole income and your your sole way that you can provide for your family. And so you've got to make it work and you've got to put in the the extra sweat equity to make it happen. And I know that we'll be able to do that. We've got a few years of paying back investors and everything like that before we can even pay ourselves a little bit more. Or should I say, not even pay ourselves a little bit more, but even hire more help. And I think that's going to be one of the things that we're going to struggle with in the very beginning is how do we do a lot of this with just Ryan and I and a handful of people, but until we can actually hire even more people that can help with scale and, and a lot of things. But it's an exciting future that we have for us. Listeners, if you guys have any other questions, if you guys have other topics you want to hear us break down, podcast of Pursuit Spirits. Don't forget to go to PursuitSpirits.com slash tour to see what city we'll be in next. We've got Ohio, pretty much five cities in Ohio, Toledo, Cleveland, Columbus, Dayton, Cincinnati. Then we're actually coming back into Louisville. We'll be in Chicago, Memphis, Nashville, Dallas. Houston, and then wrapping it up in Lexington, Kentucky. Ohio, I'm really, I'm, I'm expecting a lot from you guys, okay? This is our first pursue into the state, and, and we've heard you all say that you want us to be here, so I look forward to, to hearing all the interactions with everybody for all the Ohio dates. Thanks, as always, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of Behind the Pursuit. Until next time, we'll see you all later. Later.